0: Here's to
1: the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. <laughs> Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the U.S. Enterprise. Captain jean Picard of the U.S. Enterprise. Welcome to The Greatest Generation, Star Trek podcast by two guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica.
0: I'm Ben Harrison.
1: Ben, one thing we're not embarrassed about is a very special interview that we're beginning our show with today.
0: Yeah, we usually uh, we usually scintillate and thrill our viewers with us opening trading cards or us <laughs> opening presents in this part of the show. But uh, today we have an interview with none other than Lavar Burton.
1: I don't believe this.
0: It is the first time we've ever had somebody not us on the show.
1: Yeah, I think as a rule up until now, you get 150 episodes into something, you think... This is the format that it's going to be. Yeah, we you don't, don't change we horses don't do midstream. stream <laughs> You sure don't. But uh, I think with a lot of things, you make a, an exception for LeVar Burton. Absolutely. Uh, LeVar has a brand new podcast right now called LeVar Burton Reads. And it is a great around half-hour podcast where you read short stories. And if you like the production elements that we use on our show... Uh, there's, there's sound effects and voices and music. It's like a fully produced, fully developed
0: auditory experience. And it's really great. Yeah. Well, so here is that interview. Uh, I don't know how much they told you about what our show is, but, uh, we've been going through, uh, Star Trek, the next generation episode by episode and reviewing each episode. And, and wh- where and, are uh, we you are... about? Where are you, uh, as we speak? Well, I'll uh, I'll give you a hint. An episode that came out last week was the first one that you directed.
2: Ooh, uh, Second Chances.
0: That's right. Yeah, and that maybe is a good place to start. I mean, you're best known as a television performer and actor, but uh, you uh, have directed a ton of Star Trek and... Um, we're big fans of your directing uh, on our show. Yay! Um, you know, I know Frakes got into it fairly early on. It took you a while to to dip your toe in that water. What was it like to make that transition? Um,
2: the transition itself was scary, exciting. Fulfilling on so many levels. And, and, and you're right. Uh, you know, Jonathan was the first to cross over from actor to director. And it was really, Jonathan's experience was the basis for everything that came after. I mean, Star Trek, what we, what we refer to as Star Trek University, began <laughs> with, with Jonathan. Because Rick Berman, as an executive producer, was really supportive. If an actor came and said that they wanted to direct, there was a process that That became, you know, a, a complete and comprehensive education in all aspects of storytelling on film. You had to spend a lot of time in editing with with every editor on the staff. you You had to come in on days off. You had to go to production meetings. you had to go to spotting sessions, uh, scoring sessions. Uh, it really was an amazing opportunity to learn the the fundamentals the rudiments and the fine points of filmmaking from the inside and I'll I'll forever be grateful and Jonathan he really led the way
1: that episode that you started with LeVar second chances seemed technically more difficult than a lot of other episodes that had come before it I mean when you have split screen Rikers you have to concentrate on eye lines and stuff like that how difficult was it for you as a director to have that be your first episode?
2: It was really baptism by fire. Um, It was an incredibly (laughs) complex episode. And I remember thinking at the end of it, really having successfully figured out how I was going to shoot two Rikers in the same show, sometimes in the same scene, sometimes in the same shot. Mm. Um, Having had to go through that process of working it out in my head, Um, confirming that with the visual effects department and actually instituting methodologies that that made the shooting on the day successful and give us the elements that we needed. I I remember thinking, I can do this, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Um, I, 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 I can do this and I can't wait for the next opportunity. That was the thing, I mean, about Star Trek University. You got one slot, you got your name, you know, put on 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 one slot but whether you got a second slot really was determined by your, your performance how you did the first time around and 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 everybody the entire company's experience of you as a director was also always factored in
1: did that change your relationship with your peers on the show when you step into the big chair or because so many other actors had done it like you were familiar with how that relationship tends to change in those situations well
2: um did it change my relationship? Uh, n- n- no, n- not, not ultimately. <laughs> I am s- still given a hard time by then. Um, when we talk about my first time as a director, <laughs> be- because there's a huge difference in sense of responsibility when you are responsible for making the days work, um, yeah. getting it accomplished in, in, in the can and, and being on the other side of the camera where you're really more concerned with your character and and your lines and finding your light. Um, So there is, at least, I'm not going to say for everybody, but it was certainly true in my case. There was a bit of the asshole that came out in me. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, it, and it did not go unnoticed or, or uncommented <laughs> upon. Um, so my, my, my friends uh, pulled, pulled me up short, um, point, pointed out um, my assholery in the moment. <laughs> and, uh, and and we were all able to to move on and, and remain friends to this day.
0: One thing you were talking about with the Star Trek University and learning about story made me think about your new podcast, LeVar Burton Reads. Mm. I mean, it's it made me think about the fact that story has been kind of a watchword in your career yeah. for such a long time. Like, did you do you feel like you brought things from reading Rainbow and your other work to that Star Trek University experience that they didn't they didn't have for you?
2: Well, I, 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 t- I tend to look at it really through this lens, in, in that I see and recognize that my life's trajectory through all of the different incarnations of my career have all been about storytelling, you know. Um, And at this point in my life, that's what I identify as more than any other title, more than actor, director, producer, writer. I just I feel like I'm a storyteller and that that's what my life's work was meant to be about. And I see as I look back on my life and career that I've been placed in situations throughout the course of my life where I have had the opportunity to learn the art and craft of storytelling from some of the best some of the masters you know i i, I talk about some of my storytelling mentors um being alex haley uh, the author of roots gene roddenberry uh, fred rogers was a mentor of mine um and, and 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 so i i relate through the identity of storyteller very very strongly very heavily
0: so do you think you'll be directing any episodes of Discovery then? Um, <laughs> or are you just all storyteller now?
2: Jonathan is there now. Um, I, I have, uh, after a hiatus of a few years to focus on the business of Reading Rainbow, I'm back in the director's chair. I'm in the rotation on uh, on a CBS show called NCIS New Orleans. And I just yeah. picked up an episode of another CBS show called Scorpion. So um, You know, exercising that part of me, storyteller as director, is huge fun for me. Going back to the the podcast, storytelling as as someone who reads aloud to people, that's some of the purest storytelling there is, in my view. So, you know, I just feel like storytelling is what I do. That's what I am, you know? And I just want to do it uh, in as many venues and, and express that identity in as many ways as I can while I'm here.
1: I don't listen to a lot of books on tape, but I did start listening to your podcast, and it is such a fulfilling thing to be able to sit down and have someone read to you. You've talked before about people who have approached you and said that you know they miss that, they miss someone reading to them, they miss you reading to them specifically, <laughs> and it clearly means so much to so many people, and it's a big thing for them, but but it makes me think, what does this do for you? What do you get out of a project like this?
2: A personal sense of satisfaction, of, of knowing that I am fulfilling my destiny. I'm doing what I am meant to be doing with my life. It's nothing more complicated than that. Mm. I, I love reading aloud, and I don't suck at it. And, <laughs> <laughs> and it gives me great joy to be able to go into the studio and... And to read a story, and 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 to inject that story with whatever talent or passion or combination of of things that that I can bring, um, I I get a big kick out of it. I love it. I love it.
0: One thing that really hit me when I listened to your show is how much tonality and and you know you have so much control over your voice and its range. And I wondered if you thought about that much when your eyes were covered uh, when you played Geordie. I know for a
2: fact that um, having my eyes covered for seven years on, on TNG helped me develop that sort of vocal range that I don't believe I possessed in 1987 when we started the series. wearing the visor made a much better actor out of me. It certainly made a much better communicator out of me. And I, I attribute that experience a hundred percent for forcing me to develop a vocal range and an awareness of the importance of, of range as a tool for communication in my instrument. And with, with, without the visor, I, I don't think I'd be, (laughs) um, as effective, uh, a communicator, as I have become.
0: So you're saying that's what's holding me and Adam back? That we haven't uh, we haven't spent 7 years with our eyes covered. So yes. that's why we have such flat voices. We should be doing our show
1: blindfolded, clearly.
2: <laughs> well, you know at the beginning of the experience, you know, once I got past the initial excitement of being on Star Trek and and you know and, and playing, you know, this blind man, once the reality set in that I would have my eyes covered for 7 years, that that was <laughs> That that was a real a real revelation. I, I had to really get used to that because my eyes in the frame of my face uh, occupy, uh, I think, an inordinate amount of space and attention. And I had come to, as an actor, really rely on my eyes as a as a primary weapon, as a primary tool in communicating. and and to have that taken away from me was, Um, like I said once the the reality of it set in it was a challenge it was devastating and I I'm also the sort of person that who genuinely believes that everything happens for a reason and so once I just surrendered to the what is to the process um, the end result was I I believe certainly it was it was one that stretched me and, and and made me better at what I do.
1: This attention that you have uh, for eyes, your eyes and anyone else's, does that affect the way you direct actors? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I, I think that for all of us, the, the eye doesn't lie. You know,
2: the eye has a, a, a way of communicating the innermost thoughts and feelings. There, there, There is very little censorship that goes on between the thoughts we think and how they're reflected in, in our eyes. Uh, it sort of bypasses the area of the brain that that is about uh caution and and censorship and 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 those sorts of editorial tools that are necessary for survival definitely but but the 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 eyes really you know belie what's really going on um on an interior level for human beings for 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 most sentient beings i mean right you you know you you look at you stare into a, a a dog's eyes and and you feel a connection because because there is one right and that connection is really communicated in the eye to eye gaze
1: and just like when you stare into a cat's eyes you know that they feel nothing for you exactly because they're soulless they're heartless (laughs)
2: creatures (laughs) they have
1: they have no
2: they're waiting for you to die
0: yeah. yeah. I, f- I feel like half of our audience just turned off. The I know. Pod. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> sorry. So- sorry. Cat lovers. That was, uh, that was, uh,
2: that was a joke, um, made at the expense of the feline species. And I, I apologize. Right.
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> what was your favorite part of playing Geordie?
2: I love that Geordie, um, in that command structure, uh, uh, of the Enterprise is the character that takes everything less seriously yeah. or responds, <laughs> responds to life from, from a, a point of view that I can certainly relate to more than I could, say, a Picard or a Wharf or almost anybody else. Geordi was, was, was just, he was more loose. He was more relaxed. He was confident in a very relaxed manner. And I loved that about Geordi. I loved his, his enthusiasm and his confidence, which again, you know, the, the physicality of, of playing him, it was, it was a journey because when I put the visor on, physically 85% of my vision was taken away. It was difficult. So, so one of the things that's really that's interesting to me is, is that energy, that enthusiasm, that, that sort of passion for, for, for what he did and how he went about his job, you know that was an important part of the character for me the challenge was not being able to see when when i put the visor on i couldn't see above my head i couldn't see below my nose so i i literally had to learn how to navigate the sets without seeing my feet now mm. it was really important to me that jordy not be hesitant at all that that was a yeah. part of his personality a part of his confidence was that he knew exactly who he was where he was going most of the time and and if he didn't you know he was all about faking it until you make it so <laughs> so i couldn't like be tiptoeing around or or hesitant always looking down to see my feet i really needed to to discover a way of moving Without that peripheral, without peripheral vision, that's really what it boiled down to. I had to learn how to how to how to move without peripheral vision and um, or vertical vision. Even it was it was it was a challenge. But you know, again, it was a great challenge because it it kept the character really. I, it kept me very engaged in the character. Um, yeah. For the entire time, it's working within
0: a creative constraint. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely,
2: and and delivering on on a, on the promise of the character. Um, yeah, was that was really important to me.
1: Speaking of Jordy's personality, I mean, you mentioned before that there's this this essential relaxed feeling to Jordy in in most yeah. situations. Like we saw him repeatedly get tortured on the show by Romulans and Klingons and Data and at mm-hmm. no point did he ever <laughs> seem to lose his sort of essential joy like that yeah. that might be a, an unfortunate way to put it but like he never loses hope no and maybe another way that that he was tortured in his character's life was in his relationships to women with with women yes yes uh how yeah. How do you feel about how Jordy was portrayed in those relationships? And did you have any? Were there conflicts between you and the writers' room about about how that went? And did you advocate yeah. for playing that one way versus another?
2: Wow, that's such a, a great uh, question. Um, let me go on record as saying I, I I felt then and I feel now the the um, lack of success that Jordy had in his relationships with women. Was total bullshit, man. It's just <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> and I, I, I recognize, of course, the you know the, the, the writers were for whatever reason attached to the trope that it's the it's the engineer, it's the nerd, right? Yeah, um, yeah. That 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 has that that lack of confidence, but it certainly it just went against everything else I tried to infuse the character with. You
0: yeah, know?
1: I felt that too.
2: And, and it was it was like it was a holdover from the original idea of Geordie, right? We were able to get rid of um the idea that it was the blind man who flew the ship. That's a mm-hmm. one joke thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: And having and having the engineer, having, you know, the, the 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 geek, the nerd be uncomfortable around women was a part of that original imagining, I think, of the character. Um I would love to have seen them. Uh, the writers I'm talking about, move beyond that. I mean, you know, even the android had more sex than, than Jordy, and, and that's, that's, just,
0: that's, that's just not fair. Yeah, that's it's just not, not fair. fair.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, Mr. Burton, we are just about out of time, and I just wanted to sneak one last question in. Ever since episode two, The Naked Now, we have given an award on our show for the drunk Shimoda, which is the character who's having the most fun or just being the silliest uh, in any given episode we review. Mm -hmm. That's, of course, named after assistant chief engineer Jim Shimoda. Mm -hmm. I wonder if you could name the drunk Shimoda of the cast. Drunk Drunk Shimoda! Shimoda. Uh, Jonathan Frakes. <laughs> without without question, without without question, no,
2: no one no one has more fun than than Jonathan Frakes. Um, he's he's a huge personality and and lives up to the highest principles of the drunk Shimoda
0: imaginable. That's awesome, man! <laughs> awesome answer. Well, tell the people how can they find Lavar Burton Reads out there? Uh, Lavar Burton Reads is available wherever
2: you consume podcasts. We're uh, uh, on iTunes, we're on Stitcher, we're on Google Play, um, or search Lavar dot com, and you'll find us there.
1: It's really great, Lavar. You're doing a great job with it. Hey. Yeah,
0: I really, really am enjoying it. So uh, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much for, for, uh, for having me on. Thank Thanks you. Thanks
1: again. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Wow, Ben. Uh, I was pretty happy with how that went. I will admit to being a little nervous before talking to him. But yeah, uh, felt- there's, the thing about talking to LeVar Burton is that he puts you at ease right away. Pretty fun.
0: He's got to be very used to a couple of nerds like us coming up to him and being starstruck, right? Like, that's happened to him before.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he's a a very safe person to interview, I think.
0: Yeah. So, uh, well, uh, I hope everybody else enjoyed that as much as we did. And uh, what do we have on the show for them today, Adam? Up next for
1: you today, it's Season 7, Episode 1, the second part of our two-part episode. The first episode of Season 7, the final season of Star Trek The Next Generation, Decent, Part 2.
0: This is becoming a speech. You're the captain, sir. You're entitled. Hmm. I'm entitled to ramble on about something everyone knows. You can go get a nice segue at Mission Log, but you could never get a nice episode title mispronunciation like that. (laughs) (laughs) They are too good for that bit. Yeah. Where did we humor. leave
1: our uh, our heroes last,
0: Ben? Well, so we had uh we had Troy Geordie and the captain in the uh in the uh Mighty Morphin Power Rangers headquarters, surrounded by Borgs with uh And they're all yelly and piratey. Yeah, they're like hot, 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 <laughs> <laughs> Yeah the um uh, I think Data and Lore are in there. The majority of the crew uh, are deployed on the planet's surface, and Dr. Crusher and a skeleton crew are back up on their ship in charge of that situation.
1: They didn't give us a single scene of like the civilians on the ship going, well, I guess... I guess we're here <laughs> and everyone who could possibly protect us is gone. <laughs> ee.
0: Like who's running engineering? I don't know. Yeah, we never see who's running engineering. I mean, what is it? Like do you want to be on the away team or do you want to be on the skeleton crew?
1: Oh man, that is a great question. You know, Riker has that conversation with Worf that goes like we're on our own. It looks like we're going to be down here for a while. He sort of <laughs> resigns himself to the campsite element of this. Wharf dig a latrine. <laughs> <laughs> and like given that, I think I'd rather be on the ship. Like it seems like he's resigned to dying down there in a in a strange way, like they are really left exposed. I don't think their chances are very good being marooned there with the contents of one shuttlecraft to sustain them.
0: <laughs> yeah, the uh, the problem with an oak savanna is that there's just not that much fat on the land, you know?
1: That replicator is going to burn out from all those TV dinners.
0: <laughs> Do you think that the, re- the replicator must have like an emergency rationing mode, right? One would think like it just shits out like super calorie dense cliff bars or something like that.
1: Yeah, it would have to. What a great thing to have at a campsite though. Living pretty
0: easy, I bet. Yeah, that's good times. I read that uh I read that book Trekonomics and uh he spends a lot of time talking about how the replicator must work cuz like that's it. the replicator is fairly central to his argument about what the economics of living in a Star Trek-like utopia is like. And it's like, basically, if you can make anything for free whenever you want, like, what does that do to an economy? And uh, I I think he winds up arguing that there must be some deposit of, like, raw matter on the ship that feeds the replicator. Like, there's no way to generate enough energy to, like, Warm food and, and shit out of thin air.
1: Like, whatever the replicator equivalent of stem cells would be, like, that's what a replicator needs to make all this stuff, right?
0: Yeah, but, like, that's got to be some funky shit, right? Just, like, gray goop somewhere. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's like a, like a it's like a bunch of Juicero bags, <laughs> like, loading them up.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, e- it's either Juicero bags or, like, Soylent powder. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: It's, it's an a- invention that could only have been made in Silicon Valley.
0: Yeah, it's going to make you fart a lot.
1: The replicator had to be fairly recent, because up until Star Trek Six, we still had uh, kitchens on starships.
0: Yeah, they were still making huge pots of mashed potatoes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that is such an enduring vision for me. Well, was I... that pot of
0: mashed potatoes scene. Man, disempotted mashed potatoes <laughs> with... <laughs> with whisk <laughs> still in it is yeah. maybe my maybe my white whale of movie prop to own speaking of movie props ben
1: did you see nubbin bug and trapper keeper is on ebay
0: i did see that i tweeted about it because i was so excited the, starting By the time price... this
1: episode comes out that that uh, auction is going to be over but i gotta tell you ben i'm watching it
0: you're watching it huh there's w- no way
1: it goes for the the lowest asking price, right? It's starting at $400. And I'm telling you, and I'm really hoping my wife doesn't listen to this episode, <laughs> if I can get it for $400, I will. Because then I'll, all I'll do is sell, sell one Biff Jaeger on eBay. That is half of a BYU, a Biff Jaeger unit. <laughs>
0: yeah. In um, cost. I feel like, Adam, those Biff Jaegers are... Property of Uxbridge Shimoda, the LLC we formed to uh, deal with all the uh, various legal requirements of having this podcast. You're
1: talking, of course, about the name of our very serious, very real business title.
0: Yeah. Um, We actually get mail sent to that. I I think that Uxbridge Shimoda should consider investing in a nubbin bug.
1: I mean, we don't have a president... Or chairman of the board per se.
0: No, I mean we're not that kind of type of corporation. We're the only two officers or voting members of of the corporation and we have we each have fifty percent of it. So we can What's great is
1: if we have to vote on something important, nubbin breaks the tie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we do a spin the nubbin on whichever one of us it's pointing at. <laughs>
1: Oh my god, could you imagine bringing the nubbin out on tour and doing like a game show game up there? <laughs> oh, that'd be great. That would be really good. Well, as long as it's a work expense, Ben, uh, I will... What does the guy say in Jurassic Park? I will spare no expense. Yeah, charge it to the corporate account. Ben, I gotta say, when we came up with Uxbridge Shimoda LLC as the name of our company, the image I had in my head was the Whalen yutani logo.
0: Yeah, I've been uh I've been meaning to like actually sit down and design that up. I've got like a sketch of it that is like almost there, but it looked a little too swastika ish because of the S. E. That's <laughs> problematic. Yeah. yeah, I didn't I, I was like I got like I feel like this is like on the right track except for this swastika part. And if we can get the swastika out, it could be a good shirt. If you want one of these shirts, hashtag
1: Uxbridge Shimoda LLC. Let us know if there's any interest for this.
0: Building uh, better pod.
1: Cost prohibitive to make two, but I think (laughs) I think if we ran off a couple hundred, that would be super fun.
0: Yeah, I could get into that. This episode starts with like a big long confrontation between Picard and Lore and Data.
1: Yeah, and. Picard and Troy and Geordie are pinned down. Laura and Data are above them. They're surrounded by these Borgs, these
0: angry Borgs. The Borgs have formed essentially like a breaking circle. like, a, <laughs> like they're all standing in a big circle, clapping their hands to the beat, and there's a there's a unfolded cardboard box on the ground. Picard busts busts a couple of quick moves, but it's it's very clear that that they have not brought enough Stilo to this event to uh, to beat the Borgs.
1: He's not as flexible as he used to be. (laughs) Picard just can't help negotiating and like lawyering right away. Like, Like he's negotiating for a hostage, which is a really weird tack for him to take immediately like he seems generally unconcerned for his own life and the life of Jordy and Troy he is singularly focused on data here
0: how about that data it won't even let you talk well data has been taken over and it's like at this point you know, fool me ten times, shame on me. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's it's just a fucking joke how dangerous Data is to the security of the ship and the crew, because yeah. he is 100% under the sway of an evil influence once again, and they're totally fucked because of it. it. It has put the entire crew of the ship in mortal peril.
1: There's a little bit of exposition here, and Data is sort of demonstrating only negative emotions in the scenes where where we see him he's he's snarky yeah. and snarling he's petulant he's just a real asshole
0: yeah did you did you notice that all of the borgs in this scene are male borgs i did not notice that i feel like there used to be a bit more of a gender parity situation and they all have like like rock hard bodies with six pack batman abs and huge cod pieces and they're all dudes and they're all like they're all hanging together at this at this compound and it's like
1: yeah i i wasn't expecting the new borgs to ride for the patriarchy like this
0: yeah it's one of those episodes where you're just like like how did they arrive at the decision to cast only dudes in these in these Borg parts.
1: And there's a little bit of exposition here in that Hugh was returned to his cube and then shit started to go down right on the cube. Like it, it went adrift, some Borgs killed themselves and starved and the toilet started overflowing and (laughs) then lore found them.
0: Yeah. They were like the disaffected white nationalists that found his message very compelling. And, uh,
1: Are we glad that it was Lore that found them instead of someone else? Like, one could imagine what would happen if... Like, if the Cardassians had found them, for example.
0: Yeah, or the To
1: weaponize the Borgs for your own ends, I think, would be terrifying. But it's a little less terrifying when Lore does it, for some reason. Maybe that's because he's just
0: camp. I don't really remember... I guess the last time we saw Lore was the brothers episode where he stole the emotion ship right so he must have had transportation of some kind then oh was he still rolling with the pack lads at the end of that episode and then what happened i think then he like met up with these guys and saw that they were all they needed was a charismatic leader and they could be more powerful than they ever realized we
1: are Pack packlets our ship is the Mondor.
0: Boy, those poor pack lids, not even good enough to
1: assimilate, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> Strip the ship for parts and uh, just blow the pack leads out of the airlock.
0: <laughs> yeah, like this episode, for all of the never referencing any past episodes that this show did up until basically the time Moriarty came back, this episode references, Like, I just... Off the top of my head, I, I can think of Iborg, Suspicions, Brothers, and Fistful of Datas all kind of get referenced in this episode.
1: Yeah, and I guess if you're looking for something for Jordy to do, uh, getting him tortured is probably at the top of the list. We love torturing <laughs> Jordy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, but they didn't find a way to get his shirt off.
1: Yeah, and there's like there's the difference between being self-referential and just biting your own shit, and (laughs) this whole episode was super derivative, and as a season seven episode one episode, I was pretty disappointed in it throughout.
0: I'm not ready to be that disappointed.
1: Well, maybe I'll convince you as we go. (laughs) Disappointing people is one of my superpowers, Ben. (laughs) Mm-hmm. I've always said
0: that about you. It is a principle a base. If you can't find it within yourself, to stand up, tell the truth. You don't deserve to wear that uniform. Data is totally under the sway of lore. Picard can't really can't really get a, a word in edgewise with these guys, and they announced that their plan is to destroy the Federation and furthermore to kind of turn the Borgs into into Soong-type androids. Like, their goal is to make the Borgs totally non-biological organisms and, and uh, you know, have some kind of hegemonic digital control over the whole galaxy.
1: One of those things is super interesting to me. The other just reads as bad idea from a supervillain.
0: The reign of biological life
2: forms is coming to an end. Right?
1: Like, if what Lore wanted to do was cultivate a race of people in his own image and then become super powerful that way, awesome idea. Smart villain idea. But the idea of picking a fight with the Federation, he doesn't need to do that. It makes no sense. He could eventually destroy the Federation with
0: his billions of new Borgs. At that point, he can just roll over and crush the Federation in his sleep, but...
1: Yeah, it's an order of operations problem, I yeah. think.
0: He's he's uh, he's going with plan A too early. Well, he uh, takes all their dustbusters, and we cut to our opening theme. And when we come back, we are on the bridge with Dr. Crusher and Ensign Tate, who is a young officer who is really nervous about the fact that she is, despite being a blue shirt, positioned at tactical due to her you know being on the skeleton crew
1: i gotta tell you man uh i believe that she's nervous for that reason and also the actress playing her is nervous to be an actress (laughs) (laughs) because who this was
0: tough really
1: yeah i liked her I,
0: i thought that that was a really authentic performance adam
1: I wish it read as authentic to me, but what it read instead was, I just got this script today. <laughs> <laughs> and we have to get this before our day is blown.
0: Mm. I, I totally disagree. I think, I think that that nervousness is part of the character and I think she plays it really well.
1: And as bad as she was to me, uh, Lieutenant Barnaby was even worse. Lieutenant Barnaby looks like Security chief was his second career after training white tigers to perform tricks at a Vegas casino. He has got Siegfried vibes totally pegged. I uh, No one looks like him. Even in the 80s and 90s, no one looked quite as 80s and 90s as, as Lieutenant Barnaby.
0: Yeah, everybody was going for what this guy looks like, but nobody yeah. quite achieved it. <laughs> I like frame by frame this because I was trying to figure out if he had loaf on his... Eyebrows? Did you look at his eyebrows at all? Oh Ben.
1: I, I know you didn't do research because do you know who Lieutenant Barnaby was played by? No. He's he's green roller desk guy from uh, a couple episodes
0: ago.
2: He doesn't seem to have any discrete organs.
0: Yeah, I mean I guess you can you can if you rip the loaf off somebody and make them not skin color, you can you can just recast him in anything. Yeah. You know like the way like a like, on your lip, you've got all those, like, vertical lines because it's so flexible. Like, his fucking eyebrows have that. His eyebrows are so His expressive. eyebrows are like lips. They are. <laughs> <laughs> like, the camera goes close on this guy a couple of times, and it's like, like, from one frame to the next, it looks like, it looks like they're doing, like, CG on his fucking brow. It's crazy.
1: He definitely has a fun face for science fiction.
0: (laughs) That might be the most greatest gen phrase that has ever been uttered. (laughs) A fun face for science fiction.
1: (laughs) Like sometimes you'll see casting calls that are like, need tough looking tattooed people to play badasses in a futuristic uh, cyberpunk movie like and then the casting call for this guy is like do you have a fun face for science fiction come on down <laughs> to our burbank lot yeah
0: you can tell that 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 craigslist dad is uh not to be trusted
1: yeah anyway poor lieutenant barnaby and tate are the b story here uh their conflict woven throughout this tapestry yeah, uh, really asking you to care.
0: So, I will say that, like, the big story problem with this storyline is that, like, we ended the last episode with everybody down on the planet saying, like, you know, get out of here if the Borgs show back up, don't worry about us. And, um, the second the ship shows up, Dr. Crusher is like, oh, fuck, beam everybody up, beam everybody back up off the surface. <laughs> And uh, she confers with Riker and Riker is like, me and Worf are going to hang back, but you could beam everybody else up. And uh, that just seems like, of all people, why those two getting, <laughs> getting left behind?
1: <laughs> I completely agree. I imagine Beverly made the decision because, oh, finally someone's going to relieve me and take command of this ship that I'm ill-equipped to command once they turn down coming back to the ship. She is sort of stuck.
0: Indeed. So she gets this—I'll uh, just call him Lieutenant Loaf. She gets him back at Tactical, and, and so like Ensign Tate is like, "All right, well that's great. I'm gonna fuck off." And and uh, Doctor Crusher is like,
1: "I'll need a science officer at the aft station."
0: Well, we deal with the rest of this shit. And um, because
1: I literally need anybody at all <laughs> at science.
0: Yeah, because they don't have like all of the senior staff is still on the planet. Like, where would Tate have gone
1: at shift change? Like.
0: <laughs> She's the only one wearing a uniform on that ship. <laughs> She's just just smashed gut to her, at ten forward knocking back <laughs> shots with Guinan. <laughs> yeah. So they they clear out like just as the Borg ship starts to attack and they get to the edge of the of the transwarp conduit and Doctor Crusher's like, "Okay, this ship didn't pursue us. Like they just scared us out of orbit." So presumably like we could we could show back up at that planet and like beam out the rest of the crew, which is down on the planet's surface, like we left 50 guys back on the planet's surface. Like, what would it take to get them to get them back?
1: Not following the ship out of orbit is actually a strategy <laughs> that, I, that I agree with. If you remember the, the Hushnak ship I conjured, never chase the entrepreneur out of orbit.
0: <laughs> Just keep showing back up being inscrutable (laughs) that is the way to scare the ship away
1: straight out of my playbook
0: lore clearly bought my (laughs) (laughs) self-published battle strategy book
1: the title of that book is how to schism people and intimidate others
0: (laughs) (laughs) the seven habits of highly schismed people (laughs)
1: How to genocide your way to the Tap, <laughs> A Modern Businessman's Guide <laughs> by Kevin Uxbridge.
0: So so the plan is like we gotta get these we gotta get these stragglers and the Borgs can detect us within about 30 seconds of getting into orbit. And we need like 60 seconds to get the stragglers, so they're working on a plan for how to how to shave time off of the you know time required to beam up everybody and also how to like distract the borgs for additional seconds so that they have more time than what is allotted so that's that's our uh, that's our B storyline getting started
1: it's too bad they gave away their only good transporter chief <laughs> That's not what true, What would Adam? he be
0: useful about now? Dr. Mae Jemison was good.
1: Dr. Mae Jemison is down on the planet's surface.
0: Yeah, she's probably down there dust-bustering Borgs left and right.
1: Yeah. You know, if you're the Borgs, you probably want to assimilate her. <laughs>
0: my, my love is a- So down on the planet, we've got uh, Data taking all the like communicators and everything from Picard, Troy, and Geordi, and he also takes Geordi's visor. And um,
1: Geordi's like, "Why you gotta take my visor, man?" <laughs> what's what's up with that? And
0: Data's like, "Because I'm super cruel now. I don't need a reason." <laughs> <laughs> but um, what we find out is that Geordi can see some some like electromagnetic activity that's taking place where Lore is like broadcasting a signal at Data that turns Data bad
2: Lore is tapping into the chip he stole from Dr. Sung and somehow he's found a way to transmit part of that emotional program to Data
1: and if we just jury rigged something to break this beam to somehow restart Data's uh, morality program like we might be able to break this spell
0: They can't like jam the bad Fifi's signal. Yeah. But they can't what they can do is turn the ethics program back on and if his if his ethics come back, then he might not be such a bad hombre. The consequence they're going for is conflict
1: versus actually removal of the problem, you know? Like the best they can hope for is a tie inside data
0: what they're setting up in this premise is that scene where vader is like looking between luke and the emperor and like draws on the good that is buried deep within him and tosses the emperor off the off the balcony right like they're setting up i'm not familiar yeah it's like a a different sci-fi property uh Uh it's called star wars
1: Mm. yeah the guy in the black hat he's got that black helmet got the cape oh yeah he's he's really upset and
0: he's and he just yells no all the time and he's got james earl jones's voice until you take his hat off and then he's a shrimpy white guy
1: yeah he's an ashy ferengi inside the helmet (laughs) (laughs) there's our crossover ben
0: (laughs) i can't wait to see that photoshop
1: (laughs) great science fiction franchises
0: yeah Combined into one I love it when we come up with a thing like that And somebody photoshops it And like our viewers have been Consistently great at delivering (laughs) on These these ideas This might be the one I want to see most of all
1: No matter how stupid the idea They show up big time (laughs) So Beverly's been given an order The order of course is Get the hell out And she doesn't do that
0: I really like this decision I think it it makes her seem very heroic. She's like, we can accomplish the goal of getting information about what's going on to Starfleet and take a calculated risk at saving everybody else. So they go to the transport conduit, download everything that has happened onto a thumb drive and shoot it through the space butthole. Chief of the watch, float the buoy. Some pretty shrewd shit on on Beverly's part.
1: And so they cruise back to... Planet San Diego, (laughs) their strategy for a time is to do that thing like when you're fighting with someone as a kid on opposite sides of a table. Like you want to stay on on the exact opposite side of the table so that (laughs) so that uh, you use the table defense. They're using like a planet wide table defense until they have to bail out and head into the star. Yeah. And the reason they're able to do this is because of a callback to season 6. That shield system that Beverly was for some reason super interested in comes in handy here cuz I guess they had the program for it ready to boot up.
0: Yeah. And and like this was actually like a a good payoff of a bad episode. Like <laughs> the, they have like this this like this metaphase Which do you
1: think came first, though, Ben? Like, do you think they had this one chambered and they're like, we need an idea, but it's going to take a really bad episode to set it up? <laughs> and the showrunner's <laughs> like, deal. It's worth it.
0: <laughs> you I mean it think... only
1: cost me one bad episode? Fine.
0: I don't think that they had season one of episode seven written at that point, but yeah. But that is That's fun. what my head says. That's a fun retcon. <laughs> yeah in our dramatic miniseries of how Star Trek was written that is set in the writer's room.
1: <laughs> Drunk Star Trek history.
0: <laughs> and um yeah, it's like a total gamble. It's like she's she's kind of kirking in this in this episode. Yeah. She 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 like makes this this ship risking choice to like go back and get those guys that they left behind They, like, head into the fucking pitcher of beer at the center of the solar system, and, like, sure enough...
2: temperature dropping down to 7,000 degrees.
0: The metaphasic shield works. It was like, like, she she fucking played a super risky hand, and they managed to escape the evil Borg's ship uh, just in time. Tate and
1: Barnaby have been basically openly fighting on the bridge the entire time.
0: Yeah, Barnaby is like the sexist, racist white guy of 90s office politics who like has never been asked to check his privilege or like accommodate the idea that a woman might have valuable ideas to input in the uh, in the conversation. Like he he's almost like a Patrick Bateman type character. <laughs> Oh, he is.
2: I did my senior honors thesis on solar dynamics. Excuse me, sir, but this isn't the academy, and a student thesis is a long way from a workable plan. Don't just stare
1: at it. Eat it. After my shift is over, I'm going to go see Les Mis (laughs) on the holodeck. (laughs) I've
0: got to go return some videotapes.
1: They destroy the Borg ship, and Barnaby's like, "Good luck getting a fucking reservation at Dorcia now, you stupid fucking assholes!" <laughs> 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 the uh, Borg collection is like, uh, is like USS Enterprise wire pages of the style section, put out
0: in space in front of the star. <laughs> Why are you describing a Huey Lewis album as though you memorized a New York Times review of it?
1: <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, Barnaby's just wearing a clear raincoat on the bridge.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I just ran through four things I couldn't say on mic. So <laughs> the, the bit is done for me. Fun times with Barnaby. <laughs> well,
0: let's move on to torture, Adam. Data is torturing Jordy, and it's like some kind of experiment that lore has. It looks like very deep
1: acupuncture.
0: Yeah. He's got kind of like a handheld clip show device where he's mm-hmm. inserting clips into Jordy's show, and then it leaves a little, like, nubbin at the, like, point on his forehead where it went in. What's th- what's the goal here? I'm ready to irradiate your existing brain cells. I can't even remember what they're trying to do.
1: So the thing about these New Borgs is that in their effort to create a being that is closer to what Lore is, they're performing these, like, Mengele-esque experiments on at first a bunch of Borgs and then they totally fucked them up and then the idea is to pivot towards humans like let's start experimenting on these three humans that
0: are here beginning with Jordy. yeah because he already has implants so they're like
1: yeah and Jordy presents an interesting case study because of the implants but also because of his relationship to Data and Laura is like well if I can get Data to do this to Jordy, I know he's mine
0: yeah, so I guess that what they're trying to do is like replace Jordy's brain with a machine that, like, they inject nanoparticles that, like, figure out how his brain works and then set up a copycat system and, like, metabolize his brain and replace it eventually.
1: If they're trying to replace Jordy's brain with a version that doesn't feel emotions in a normal way, I think that work has already been done. <laughs> like, why don't they just skip to the next step?
0: Yeah. I mean we see the horror of of this experiment when Riker and Worf run into Hugh. Like they're Riker and Worf are like outside the uh outside the big church and a bunch of borgs surround them. But it turns out that these borgs are not with lore. Like they are a splinter group that uh that are hiding out in some nearby caves and they uh they bump into Hugh in the caves and he's like, Oh, you assholes, I know you and, and like he starts out like, like rip shit pissed at, at Riker and Wharf, but like, eventually just kind of turns into like exposition guy who misses Jordy. <laughs> like he he shows them the Borgs that have had experiments done on them, and says that he wants to hang around with his pal, and he kind of gives them the keys to the castle. He like tells them how to sneak into the church, and like sets up a plan where like maybe they can come back at at the lore and data borgs
1: i was expecting a little bit of a double cross here because what we don't get along the lines of their exposition like the underground new borgs i guess also met lore and were brought to the planet but like if you if without lore you are a shitting your own pants borgs <laughs> and like a guy who runs into the wall style borgs. Like, how d how were they able to get off of the lore juice and like be self sufficient?
0: Well, I think that they like what he's saying is that they were very susceptible to any kind of leadership at that point. Oh,
1: okay. Yeah. And
0: and then like they kind of became even further disillusioned when they realized that Lore was an asshole.
1: As you do. You get you get a smooth talking guy. Telling you he's, he's going to make everything better. Make Borgs great again. And then uh, it turns out to be a real shit show. <laughs> <laughs> I am the cutest of all. There are four lights. It was neat to see Hugh again. It was neat to see Hugh ask about Jordy. Yeah. It was a very strange thing to not get a Hugh and Jordy scene ever.
0: That's got to be like an economy of story thing. Yeah. Like if they I think that it I think we would have gotten it if it if they had gone with something other than let's torture Geordie for most of the episode. If this show's taught us one
1: thing, it's that if you have a chance to torture Geordie. You take that shit.
0: <laughs> Torturing Geordie is also like tearing data up inside. You know, he's like he's he's like they've they've activated this thing that turns back on his ethics thing. And we have a scene where he and he like confronts Laura about it and Lore, like, flips up his fingernail, and underneath it he has some fuck-with-Data's-head controls. And He's got, like, emotional cocaine under
1: his coke nail. <laughs>
0: yeah, he really does. Because,
1: because when the dealer takes it away from Data, Data is not happy. No, he's fixing, Data, he's fiending big
0: time. Data wants to come back for more, and he's like, come on, Lore, I'll suck your dick! <laughs>
1: I said I'll suck
0: that dick! I'm programmed in multiple techniques,
1: Lore! <laughs> I'm programmed in multiple dick-sucking techniques!
0: Well, that would be more Lore, because Lore's the one in the Batman costume. Right. Lore is like, Data, I would, I would love nothing less than to have you suck my dick, if only for the implications of, Is it masturbation, <laughs> since we have the exact same body?
1: If Lore were really interested in what it was like if Data sucked his dick, Lore could take off his head and suck his own dick, right? (laughs) You've been listening to The Greatest Generation, the the highest rated, most listened to Star Trek podcast.
0: The Star Trek podcast that has cruised ahead of all others in in (laughs) listenership for what reason? We do not know. (laughs) that
1: hard hitting decapitation masturbation head cannon
0: <laughs> that is like head like when you think of head cannon, what you picture is lore fucking his own mouth
1: <laughs> oh god this is it isn't it this is the bottom <laughs>
0: <laughs> no way dude we we have we have like 25 episodes left in this season i think we can get much lower
1: <laughs> i'm excited to be on this journey with you ben <laughs>
0: on the entrepreneur, they are still hanging out in the inexpensive Mexican easy drinking beer. And, uh, Ensign Tate comes up with a plan where they can shoot, shoot a ray at the surface of the sun and have, and cause like a a solar flare to explode the Borg ship. And they, uh, they put it into action. It explodes the ship. And uh and they are free. Like they can they can go back to the planet and start beaming up the rest of them. This happens simultaneous with a scene where Lore has Picard and Jordy and and uh and Troy out in the main gathering hall of his evil compound, and he's gonna challenge Data to prove his loyalty by getting a body. It's like a gang jumping in scenario where Data has to kill Picard to prove that he is like down for the cause.
1: Picard does a great job not looking scared here, but I think it would be okay if he were a little scared. (laughs) Things are not looking good for Picard in this moment. (laughs) I would be be
0: Data-like shitting myself. He
1: doesn't even muster a
0: don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) He actually turns towards it. What winds up happening in this scene is that Data doesn't kill him, and they, you know, they're about to take him away, and then Riker and Worf, who have snuck in, start dustbusting everybody, and you know, Hugh attacks Lore. It it turns into a real melee, and Picard is a deer in headlights through the whole thing, from Data like aiming a phaser at him to like Hugh bum rushing Lore to. Riker and Wharf like like he doesn't hit anybody, he doesn't grab a gun and shoot anybody, like he doesn't do anything. He just like stands there totally stunned and watches as Data chases Lore off to uh Lore's like safe room or whatever.
1: That's one of two major sins of this scene is like obvious question, Ben, who's the most dangerous person in the room at that point? It's Lore. Who did they lose track of first? Lore, <laughs> like he has got to be the target of those phasers, and yeah. they're not even shooting at him. They're yeah, like they're shooting
0: just, at random Borgs guys. They're just randomly bullseying Borgs, which has got to be like what Hugh and his his team should have done is like gone in. You know, it should have been like shirts and skins, where <laughs> where half the Borgs are like easy to identify because they're they're playing shirtless and. I mean, like, that definitely gives Data the cover, though. Like, when he catches Lore in his safe room to deactivate Lore. And this is where the fistful of Datas comes in, because Lore is about to shoot Data again, and Data has that quick-draw game tight.
1: Yeah, shoots Lefty, takes him out. We get another split diopter of Lore and Data as Data deactivates Lore. And then Data wanders out of the room and like sort of claps his hands together like dusting them off and he's like well uh deactivated my brother everything's back to normal now <laughs> ben you can't leave data and lore alone together like how could anyone in that room believe that that's data coming out they didn't see anyone get shot i would put data in cuffs yeah you have to right no one knows that he's not parent chapping them again, and that's my point.
0: Yeah. Unless Lor has, like, bulked himself up, and that is actually a skin-tight costume and not a Batman <laughs> u- uniform. In that case, very easy to identify who's who. I guess. Maybe bu- maybe Lore has been getting into lifting. Back on the ship, Data's totally unpunished.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I guess Data's feeling the closest thing he can feel to remorse. Because he's about to phaser the emotion chip that he ripped out of Lore's head. And Jordy walks in to forgive him. Jordy's like, look, bud, I know you weren't a licensed acupuncture therapist. And so that was your reason for almost lobotomizing me earlier. But (laughs) you weren't of your own mind.
2: I wouldn't be very much of a friend if I let you give up on a lifelong dream, would I?
1: And Data's like, yeah, maybe you're right. Jordy's like, maybe we can make a feature-length movie about this
0: chip later on. But for (laughs) now, let's keep this on your shelf. Data's like, if we do that, I've been working on a little ditty that I might sing. Mm. Did you like this episode, Ben? (laughs) (laughs) Trying to get out ahead of that, huh? Yeah. I did like the episode, Adam. We've talked about some of its many flaws here today, but I think the things that I like about it are, I like that Dr. Crusher gets to be captain and actually like does some pretty brave shit. It's not like a, it's not a potted plant role for Dr. Crusher. Um, And I like that, uh, I like that Data actually does a murder like he is his brother's keeper. He's like you're too dangerous to leave alive, so I got to I got to turn you off, bro. Like that's a that's a pretty like momentous event for this character and I thought it was a uh, it it gives a lot of dimension to the character, I think. To me, the thing that destroys
1: the joy of this episode is the Tate Barnaby and to a lesser extent Beverly storyline because Everyone is so self-aware and so a little bit hammy about it. Like when Tate destroys the Borg ship, she like fist pumps and Barnaby is like, oh, jeez!" Like as if as if surviving a Borg attack was an affront to the patriarchy flag that <laughs> he was holding. Like like they're not on the same team at all. Their conflict made no sense to me when survival is the thing that they should be trying to do instead of winning an argument. This is a very Roddenberry-esque thing to say, but they should not have been fighting that way. Hmm. Like, that that felt totally alien to what we've come to expect, even from, like, B-team bridge crew people. So, I don't know. That, that part was a downer to me. All of the Borgs stuff was cool, if for no other reason than its potential, but I was also sad that Jordy and Hugh never got a scene. Like, that was a major relationship. And yeah. uh, and that was, that was only teased and never paid off. So I, Huge missed I'm not sure I like the episode.
0: All right, Adam. Well, I think our verdicts have been rendered, and it's time to move on to messages of the first priority. Priority 1 message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a
2: supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental.
1: Supplemental. supplemental.
2: Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship.
1: Ben, we have two priority 1 messages of a personal nature. Here's the first. The message is from Canadians for Plavim. What? <laughs> It is for all razzgulls everywhere. <laughs> Message goes like this. In the spirit of my country's 150th birthday <laughs> and America's 200 and somethingth, <laughs> I want to extend an olive branch out to all Razguls. Our, fe- our feud has been getting out of hand lately, and maybe we say things that we don't mean. Hmm. I hmm. hope we can all come together during the Greatest Gen Tour. Maybe do some sweet karaoke. Just kidding. Fuck you, rascals. Team Plavim. Hashtag Team Plavim. Hashtag Plav
0: Team. (laughs) Wow. So is this people not Raz or Plavim getting on the Raz and Plavim train? Is that how you're reading the situation?
1: Whether or not this is Plavim themselves or someone a proxy Plavim, maybe... (laughs) Uh, the spirit is the same. They got the spirit right, that's for sure. Yeah. This is like when Data talks with Picard's voice. I can't really tell the difference.
0: Yeah. We have a second Priority One message here, Adam, and it's from Plevim. <laughs> and it's for Raz. Uh, like a cat in heat, you have hypnotized a group of well-intentioned viewers... With the pendulum like motion of your solitary plum sized hemorrhoid. Oh my god. <laughs> Being the bigger man, I offer you one last chance to end this at 4 p.m., August 15th, at McCarthy's grave. Just enough time for us to get down to Milwaukee and rent a tandem bicycle. I fucking love those things. <laughs> <laughs> The one thing that it makes
1: me think is that I'm glad anyone is going to that Milwaukee show. (laughs) Please come to Milwaukee, viewers. Does that mean we're going to meet Raz and Plavim at Milwaukee? If you're interested in meeting Raz and Plavim, Milwaukee sounds like the place. Wow. I'm excited. Yeah, me too. Well, uh, our thanks to Raz and Plavim for... Supporting the show through the purchase of a Priority One message. If you would like to kick any future Priority One messages off of their schedule and take them for yourself, (laughs) you can go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron where personal messages are $100 and commercial messages are $200. They are a great way to support the ongoing production of our show. Thank you, Raz and Plavim.
0: Thanks, guys. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find
1: yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk, drunk
0: Shimoda. Shimoda! I did. Um I don't think it's gonna surprise you that it's uh, Lieutenant Loaf. Hmm? The uh the man the only man who's ever been born with Loaf out of the womb. Um Yeah, that scene where uh they blow up the Borgs and he he does the like fist pump and then is like I mean <laughs> that was pretty good for an ensign kind of <laughs> kind of a move. <laughs> like, like what a like fucking a Grudging asshole. admission. Yeah. yeah. That that uh that is so Shimoda worthy, I I uh, I can't even believe it. Don't just stare at the sun tate, eat it. <laughs> <laughs> How about yourself? Did you have a Shimoda? To
1: me it could be only one person. And in spite of all of the torture he endured, I'm going to give my Shimoda to Jordy, <laughs> Because Jordy, you have to let Data destroy that emotion ship. Data, who has gone unpunished yet again for crimes and misdemeanors against <laughs> the entrepreneur and its crew, has a chance to prevent one of the many ways that Data is a threat to you and everyone else on the ship. And Jordy, for whatever reason, is like, no, man, you don't want to do that. Keep the most dangerous thing we have on board in your quarters. You never know when you'll be ready for it. <laughs> that is ridiculous, Jordy. I think Jordy's brain has actually been damaged from his experience on the planet because that doesn't make any sense. Real short memory, Jordy. <laughs> That's what I got.
0: All righty, Adam.
1: A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES.
0: One of the amazing things about making the greatest generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time and... They send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on?
1: Just one more week till max fun drive.
0: <laughs> Hard to believe.
2: Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly
0: Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org.
1: What do we have coming up for episode two of season seven, Ben?
0: The next episode is season seven. Episode two, Liaisons... While the crew plays host to ambassadors from an alien race, Picard is stranded on a barren planet with a woman who falls desperately in love with him. Do you remember this episode, Adam? I don't remember this episode at all.
1: Not at all? The first time Picard was stranded on a planet, he tied on a headband and then got crushed by some rocks. (laughs) And then Wesley had to shoot a phaser at a thing that turned someone else into a mummy. Hmm. That isn't this again though is it?
0: No, this is uh these are like some fun ambassadors where like one of them is totally obsessed with dessert and <laughs> one of them is like is like being a real shithead. <laughs> like like it's a it's a real like uh fish out of water from our perspective kind of mm. episode. Mm. And I uh I kind of like it's 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 it is embracing the campy side of Trek.
1: Well, if you like it, Ben, it's good enough for me. I will not veto.
0: Oh, good. Oh, good. Because I wouldn't either. Fine, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Adam. Well, that will be our next ep. Uh, what we've got to do now that all of that, all of that business preceding this part of the show is taken care of. Is uh, give out some thanks We gotta thank Dark Materia For our theme music And Adam Orgusia for a lot of other music on the show We gotta thank the great folks at MaximumFun.org Who week in, week out Put up with our bullshit Support our show In innumerable ways And uh, you know like uh, Are generally like Really great to us Despite us being kind of new to this And not really knowing what the fuck we're doing
1: You listen to us for a couple hours a week and you get a general sense of what our personality is like. Could you imagine us asking a professional business question? (laughs) (laughs) The kind souls at MaximumFun.org are those people. And we are very grateful.
0: Yeah. Um, We should also direct everybody to the greatest gen hashtag on Twitter where you can see Bill Tilly's beautiful trading card collection, our wisecracks, and the Uh, and the kind of unquenchable comedy of our viewers, uh, which is really fun week in, week out. It's a a real fun hang. Um, It's also fun to hang out on the Facebook group, the Reddit group, and the Wikia, where uh, you can uh, connect with other greatest gen viewers who are not so Twitter inclined. What else? You can send us an email at uh, drunkshimoda at gmail.com. Still answering emails
1: occasionally. (laughs) Got a little bit of a backlog there. Uh, If we don't get back to you uh, for a little while, that is why. We'll get to you eventually. Yeah. But thanks for writing in. That's Adam's fault. Yeah. That's sort of one of my jobs. I do the finances and the email. I I do the... uh, I really drew the short straw on that
0: one. (laughs) I do so much more of the email lately. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Anyways, um, with all of that settled up and squared away, we will be (laughs) back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, another episode of The Greatest Generation, where we just cannot stop stuffing ice cream into our fucking faces. (laughs) We're going to do a sync clap just so that we know where all the tapes need to line up. So if you'll indulge us with a three, two, one clap, uh, that would be awesome. Okay. Ready? Three, two, one. Perfect. That, that was so much fun.
2: <laughs> 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 that that may have been the, the highlight of my day. I'm
0: glad we could provide you with that. <laughs>